I just want to jump in here with a quick note about some changes that are happening. This podcast is now going ad-supported. What that means is I will be releasing select episodes from the hundreds of episodes I have archived now on Patreon and releasing them here. A lot of these were recorded a couple of years ago during 2020 especially. However, I have gone through them and deemed that the parenting information was still really relevant. So just be aware that some of these releases may be out of order chronologically. Also, if you would like to listen to the podcast ad-free, you can still join Patreon. I'll still be releasing podcasts there with a few bonuses. One is that it will be ad-free. One will be that you get the podcast slightly earlier than everybody else. And I'll also be doing a bonus episode every month with a Q&A that's patron specific. So if that's something you'd like to do, you can join for a dollar a month and we'll see you there. Thanks, guys. Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. If you don't heal what hurt you, you will bleed on people who didn't cut you. If you do not transform your pain, you will transmit it. If you love someone, don't copy paste your anger on them. Happy 2021. And breathe. Okay. In keeping with putting the dumpster fire of 2020 behind us, I am devoting January into diving into trauma and healing and not bringing our past trauma into today, into the present, and into our parenting. I don't know if more and more parents are doing this work or if I'm just attracting parents who are doing this work to me because I love this work, but everywhere in my life, I'm surrounded by parents who are working through their trauma while parenting. And this is the most worthwhile work you can do as a parent. I'll read those statements again because they're so important. If you don't heal what hurt you, you will bleed on the people who didn't cut you. Okay. This next one is from Brene Brown. If you do not transform your pain, you will transmit it. And this last one, I found a young person wrote this and I thought it was so great because it's the language is so technologically appropriate. (laughs) If you love someone, don't copy paste your anger onto them. I would also say don't copy paste your hurt onto them. So these are great sentences all saying the same thing. You work through your shit so you don't pass it on to your kids and hopefully your spouse and other relationships. But, you know, as it pertains to us today, we're talking about parenting. It is the most important work there is. I happen to be, quote unquote, lucky because for myself, my personal trauma was so thick, I had to address it before I had my child. So I am just in deep honor and I give just mad fucking props to all of you who are doing this work while you're parenting. It is very difficult. So just right there, know that you're doing amazing work. On a practical level, it, you know, it just makes sense to not pass shit down, right? We don't pass shitty objects down. So it just makes sense that we don't want to fuck up our kids and we don't want to pass our shit to them. If we're anxious, we don't want to pass our anxiety to them, right? But there is a deeper layer here. It is my cosmically spiritual belief that our kids are here to pour salt in our wounds. 
just simply put, they're meant to trigger us. They're meant to bring our healing to the forefront so that we can't ignore it. And listen, I don't mean our kids are responsible for our healings. God, no, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we love them so much that when they do pour those salts into their wounds, we can't ignore it. And it's going to help us heal as a society, as a people, as a planet. Know that when you say your kid triggers you, yeah, dude, it's true. They do. Their very existence is going to put your shit front and center. (laughs) And again, because you love them, your love for them is so deep. It's so true that you might be willing to look at this crap in other ways that you never have done before, okay? Just think, like if you didn't have kids, think of how you were before kids, even maybe before you even met your spouse. Yeah, you could go your whole life without even thinking about your trauma and your healing, unless it was like wrecking you. But even then, some people still don't work it out, right? So for a greater planet, like I almost don't have the words for how I think of this healing. It's changing the world It's parenting in a whole new way, and it's breaking all the paradigms that have come before us. I have maintained this truth. We're a little bit lost as a generation because so many of us are doing this work, a generation of parents, I mean. So many of us are doing this work. We're stopping generational trauma. We're cutting past cords and unspoken contracts, but we also have no compass. So that's why it feels like we're on such shaky ground, right? We don't have a compass for this stuff. So this episode is really about laying some groundwork for how I think of this and how I work. Because there's really, there's a lot of psychological theories out there. So how I view this and how I work isn't necessarily the only way. One thing that consistently amazes me is how we end up in our old patterns no matter what. I work with so many parents who are trying so hard to break through their childhood wounds. They parent wildly different from how they were parented. They're very conscious. They don't want to repeat the patterns, yeah? And yet, at the end of the day, they find themselves still repeating the trauma they experienced in a lot of circumstances. It's like you can't escape this, right? You can't bypass the work. You can try. You can layer on new parenting, but you can't bypass the work. So here's a huge example. You may have grown up in a house where there was, say, no big show of love, where you only got negative feedback, you only heard negative things, you may have gotten yelled at or even hit for random things. So you were always on eggshells, right? So you grew up with a fucked up flight, fight, or freeze response. Well, this means you have weak boundaries because you weren't taught compassionate boundaries. So now you're parenting, but you have no boundaries. So you try to be hyper-responsive to your kid's every need. You end up drowning. You're depleted. And guess what happens? Your kids trigger you and you end up yelling at random things, saying all the negative, catastrophic things that happen when psycho mom comes out, right? You will end up just like your parents parented you. It doesn't matter how you circle this. It will come back. Another trippy thing is that you will unconsciously seek and find situations that mimic your early experience until you work it out. So for a lot of people who are unconscious about this, about the trauma, about the healing, and about this fact that you will keep circling them out until you figure it out, what happens is you keep attracting the same situations. And so you underscore your disappointment or your shame or the things that were done to you. And so you just reaffirm, that's the word I was looking for. You reaffirm this belief that you cemented as a child. And so you kind of keep getting the same thing. And so if you're unconscious of this, it can feel like it just keeps happening and happening and happening. You guys, I have to say, I love this shit. I love peeling away our onion layers. This is my bread and butter. All my relationships are about this. 
I think we're all fabulous works in progress. And what better way to spend our lives than learning about ourselves and how we work and learning how to communicate our needs better, right? Now, that being said, I love this work, but we need to go slow. We need to fully unpack all of this stuff. Okay, we're not going to fix or heal anything this month. So I just want to make sure your expectations are are level. My goal here is to give you a framework and a jumping off point to get clear about what you might be feeling or experiencing. Okay, some of you may be working with a therapist already and are very aware of your trauma. I had asked on Patreon, I had asked for some feedback, what you guys want to work on. And obviously there were some people who are very versed in their trauma and very versed with how it comes out in their parenting. But for some of you, this might be totally new. You you know, you may be aware that you have a really strong reaction with your kids sometimes. You may recognize that you get very heated, but you might not know why. You may know that your relationship with some of your family members feels really off, but again, you may not know why. You may not be able to pinpoint it as trauma or as a trauma response. I want you to look at this whole month like overall and all the podcasts kind of put them together and recognize that the way I'm formatting this particular subject is every week I'm going to hit a different thing. So so don't expect to have like fully, you know, nuts opened and and realizations after each episode, but more what I'd like to do is take the whole month and then kind of let it process and marinate and shake out in your head and in your heart. Trauma work is not a quick fix, you guys. I started this work in my 20s because I was seriously headed for dead. And at 52, I still find layers to peel back. And that's so exciting to me. So I want to take a minute, though, to say that I'm going to be using a lot of personal examples this month, okay? If I were your therapist, this would largely be inappropriate. I am not your therapist, though. (laughs) And what I have found over the years is that sometimes trauma and the terms and the definitions we use can be really confusing. So I may use personal examples for clarity. I need you to know that I have healed all my shit, okay? I need you to know that I am more than okay. And one of the definitions of quote-unquote healed is being able to tell your story without over-emotions, without tears, without melting down, okay? I grew up in a very terribly violent alcoholic home. There was tons of emotional, physical abuse, which led to sexual abuse, I had suicidal thoughts and attempts at a very young age. My mom herself attempted suicide many times, and I had found her. In my teens and early 20s, I had awful eating disorders. I would dissociate to the point of losing time. I was a blackout drinker, and I was an early adopter cutter. And I say that I say that with um, humor. Cutting wasn't a thing. It is a huge thing now. When I started doing it, nobody knew what to do. So there were points when I was in my early 20s where I was in five-point restraints because doctors didn't know what to do with it. But the really cool thing is I not only in my healing stopped cutting relatively early, but I also went on to become kind of a name for myself in social work in helping others stop cutting at a point when they thought cutting wasn't healable. It was going to be a lifelong thing. So I tell you guys all of this, I don't want you pity and I, I don't say it for any other reason than this, but I want you to know that radical healing is possible. Okay. I have a good relationship with my mom and father. Now I am pretty good at recognizing toxic people. Sometimes I need a slap in the head from the universe about it. I have really good boundaries and I've worked really hard at that my whole life. And more importantly, I'm breaking the cycle of generational 
trauma. And I just want you guys to be reassured that I am on the other side of this and I am more than okay. So when I give you personal examples, it's to help you get clarity. A trauma response for some people is uh, flooding other people or telling too much of their story in an attempt to get sympathy or an attempt to get taken care of. Because if I had told you all this shit when I was 23, that's what I would have been doing. I would have been manipulating you as a trauma response to try to take care of me because I wasn't taken care of. So anyway, I want to say all that (laughs) because that's not what I'm doing. It's really just to help you guys get clarity, okay? I also am blessed because I became excellent at helping other people through their trauma. And I I really moved up the ranks in social work and I got to work with some of the greats in healing. And I am so blessed from that. And so I love, you know, one of the reasons we do heal ourselves is so we can be models for other people. So I also want you guys to know that there's really nothing I haven't seen in personal, my personal life and in my professional life. I have seen the worst of worst traumas. And I have also seen the most subtle and insidious of traumas. So there's not much I haven't seen. On that note, I do want to talk about quantifying trauma because this is a really big deal. We tend to quantify trauma as parents. And I can tell, you know, if you're listening to this, this means you're a patron, which means you have an awareness of your parenting. You're in the upper echelon of parenting. And chances are you have access to a computer. You have at least a dollar a month to put towards Patreon. And so it can feel like sometimes our trauma is little. Trauma can be big or little, okay? It can be overt or it can be silent. It can be obvious or really small and subtle. And here in this group on Patreon, as we work through this month, we're not going to quantify trauma, okay? Your trauma could have been that you were shamed in school for not knowing an answer. There are people who have survived the Holocaust. There are people who have survived rape, sexual abuse. It doesn't matter. How we internalize things is completely different for everyone. As much as we try, we think we have a handle on the human psyche, but we don't. Like a splinter of shame can cause the same damage as a bludgeoning over the head. It, it's just, I know this from my work. So please don't quantify your, your trauma. The first step is to own that you have it, whatever it is. Don't wallow in it. We're not We're not going to have victimhood here. But I also need you to stop any thoughts of, oh, well, this is nothing compared to other people. They have it so much worse. Or, oh, it wasn't that bad. I have a friend who had it worse. Oh, this is a first world problem. My clients say this to me all the time. I know this is a first world problem. You guys, we're in a first world. We get to have first world problems. We have clean water. Most of us have have access to plenty of food. We have shelter and heat. We are first world problems. So it's okay to have those. So we don't quantify trauma, but we will need to define a lot of terms because of pop psychology and media. People use a lot of terms associated with trauma incorrectly and it waters down the meaning. So next episode, we're really going to hit some of the bigger terms that we use in trauma. Like for example, people use the word narcissist and that can range from somebody who is self-centered all the way to malignant narcissism, which will fuck you up and destroy you. So we have to get clear about some of the terms we're using. Trauma is two parts. It's not just the thing you suffered. So people tend to think, oh, I grew up in an alcoholic household or, oh, my father beat me. That actually isn't the trauma. The trauma is how you internalized it, how you took it on, what the wound looks like in you personally. The wound could be, say, that you, it's not even that you had an alcoholic mother who was unpredictable. That's the thing, right? 
The wound is that it made you walk on eggshells. It made you have to take care of an adult in your life. This may have given you an ultra-independence trauma response. This can then cause resentment in your current relationships, which can then trigger psycho mom, which can then wreck all your relationships, right? You don't have to work through the fact that the original fact almost doesn't matter. It's you have to work through the trauma response. That's how it shows up in your relationships and your parenting. So the awareness that you had an unpredictable alcoholic mother, that's great. That's great that you can say that out loud, but that's not the work. Okay. The work is in how you traumatize, I mean, how you traumatize, how you internalized it. I'm going to say this loud and clear. We cannot change what happened to us. We can only change our response. And that is the biggest life lesson of all, okay? Even in current time, we can't change other people. We can only change our response. We cannot change toxic people. We can only change our response, which may be to walk away. Our response is 100% our responsibility. We are in charge of that. And that alone. And you guys, this is a fucked up concept that took me years to understand. When I first started going to therapy, and it was because of cutting, my therapist would every once in a while throw out something like, well, this is your responsibility. And I'd go ballistic. And it would really trigger me into a huge trauma response because I am responsible for the, the original thing. I am responsible for the enactment of the trauma on me. I am responsible for my mother. I am responsible for my father's abuse, right? I took that on. It took me years to get clear that what she was saying is my current response is 100% my responsibility, okay? So yes, we're going to work through it. Yes, the, the process is that you're unconscious about it and then you become conscious about it. And then there's all these phases you sort of have to work through. But in the end, how you respond, you cannot You cannot blame that on your parents. You cannot say, well, I explode on my kids because my mother did that to me. That's not fair. You have to work through your shit, okay? (laughs) And it's possible though. It is so possible. On that note though, I am a firm believer in the inner child, okay? And I know some there's some therapies and some theories that don't buy into this. I do. I feel very strongly that we get stuck at these ages of trauma. Again, big trauma, little trauma, we get stuck there. And that a large amount of trauma healing is learning to reparent yourself, is giving yourself the response that you needed as a child or the parenting that you needed as a child. And we'll say more about this as we go on and on with this month. This is a practice, just like parenting. This will never be done. You'll never be done with this. You will fuck it up. I can guarantee it, yeah? Rest assured, though, listen, your kids are going to have issues no matter what. So, (laughs) and I I don't say that as a cop-out, like, just go fuck up your kids, but it doesn't matter. You could do it all right, which is impossible. But even if you did, your kids still would have an issue. And I've said this before, like I had my trauma and I have a friend who like seemingly got everything. Her parents were happily married. She always had anything she desired. She had never had hardship. She's got, you know, a red Mustang or some sort of cherry red, beautiful car on her 16th birthday. She got college paid for like everything. Just her parents were divine. And she still had, she still has therapy about other issues. So it's, it's like, don't worry. They're, they're going to get messed up anyway. There is no perfect, but your awareness of this will go a long way in healing. Apologizing will go a long way in your healing. It's not a linear process though. It's a cha-cha. And the only important thing I can say is that you show up, just show up with all your shit and, and stay present. Okay. But let's talk a little bit about how trauma shows up in parenting, because I find that that's where people get very unclear. 
So how does your trauma show up in parenting? Number one is addictions for sure. So let's, we got to unpack addictions though. Addictions are any compulsive behavior that will change your physical state or your physical chemistry so that, and you don't have full control over it. So change your state, change the way your mind is in the moment, right? So if it's anxious, the addiction will mitigate your anxiety. Yeah. It will change your state. So a lot of times dealing with addictions is just finding other ways to change your state that aren't as destructive. So obviously when we talk about addictions, we often think of drinking and drugs, right? That's what we've been sold through the media, that those are the addictions, drinking and drugs. And for sure they are a problem and we have illegal drug use and we have legal drug use and of course drinking. And I know somebody on Patreon had uh, mentioned that like we've turned into a mommy drinking culture. Like, you know, there's all these memes about mommy deserves a, a, a break and wine o'clock and it's an issue. And so obviously people are using drinking as a coping device. Uh, alcohol consumption during the pandemic went up a huge amount. So I also see a lot more insidious addictions in parenting that revolve around eating, shopping, cleaning, working out, and OCD-ish behaviors. We'll talk more about actual OCD when we go on to the definitions episode, but, you know, I'll hear a lot of people, well, it's my OCD won't let me leave the house without cleaning. You know what I mean? So there's a clinical OCD, and then there's like a sort of pop version that we use in our lives. The tricky part with addictions is that a lot of these are stress management tools. Part of the definition of addiction is it starts to interfere with your life, right? That's when it becomes a problem. Does it interfere with your life? And I find with most addictions, we can sort of explain them away a lot because they are stress management tools. So I like a good house cleaning. For example, when I'm upset, like, sure, I might, you know, clean the bathroom. I might get scrubbed the floors. Yeah. But it can be a problem when you're not having fun with your kids, right? Or it just has to get done and it interferes with your timeline of the day or that it's all you're thinking about, right? So only you can decide when these are addictions, but I do hear panic in some clients that I work with that like, yeah, but you don't understand. I have to have a clean house, right? So there's this also this special thing, me, I have to do it. Not like everybody else. My, my brain says that I need to do this. That's where I'd say, okay, this might edge into a problem. Are you screaming at your kids if they track mud into the house? Are you going psycho when somebody leaves something on the floor, right? Again, Interfering with your life doesn't have to be that you're going to the emergency room to detox because you drank too much, right? Interfering with your life can be that you're not showing up fully as a parent. You're not showing up fully for your spouse. You're not showing up fully for your life because you're very busy having to get something done. I see a shopping addiction and not just buying things. There's another layer to shopping that I see all the time in my clients and it's addicted to research, there's research and products. And then I've seen this one go way too far, right? There's, I love that there's a consciousness there. Like we're all trying to be more conscious, conscious shoppers, but I've seen many a parent, largely moms, literally lose too much sleep researching a product to death. Yeah. You know, follow every aspect of the product to see where it was made, to make sure it was made ethically, sustainably, not toxic all of this stuff. And I'll say more about that in a minute, but all of these stem from trying to quell or mitigate an anxiety. When we get anxious, we get unsettled and these addictions calm us, right? They change our state. 
Sugar does this. When we talk about food, sugar is a, it's the most widely abused substance we have. And yet it's so super encouraged around us. If you go to a party and say, oh, I'm not drinking tonight or no, thank you. I just like some water. Largely people will leave you alone, right? You know, you might say, oh, I feel like I have some alcoholic tendencies or I just have been drinking too much. I'm laying off. And people, a lot of people will respect that, even though they, they might like tease you. Try going somewhere, try going to a birthday party and saying you don't want sugar. Oh my God, people are going to ream you a new asshole. But sugar changes your state. And so a lot of times food addictions, it can be from undereating or from overeating, but a lot of times it, it lies in just sugar. And again, I'm going to say more about all of these and what we can do about them in an a c- upcoming episode. You just have to become aware of this because... The more subtle ones are just really tricky. Again, you can say, you know, I just really like to have a clean house. That's fine. But is it affecting you? Or if you say, you know, hey, I'm just a really conscious shopper. Again, that's really fine. Unless you're up till three researching a product and that makes you really shitty the next day. And I can guarantee if you're regularly staying up till three to research products, you will be shitty the next day. So addictions stem usually from unpredictability as a child or overt abuse where you want to dissociate. So dissociation is when you want to disconnect from reality because reality is too painful. So addictions get lodged in pretty early on because you just want to avoid that feeling. It's just your whole life has been too traumatic, but also unpredictably, right? Whether it was shaming, poor boundaries or unclear expectations, or again, a rampant addiction in your parents, you know, you were constantly on Tinder hooks as a child. Unpredictable behavior from your parents can cause this, right? So again, like you're always on shaky ground. It's almost like one of those like fun house things where you don't know where you're going to step, Right. It's a tool for coping. You know, if you saw your parents use these as tools for coping, it may be just that you learned a tool for coping is to have a drink. You may have heard your whole life, oh my God, I had such a stressful drink, pour me a whiskey. You just grow up and go, hey, I've had a really rough day, pour me a glass of wine. A fascinating thing, when I grew up, I I mentioned that my mom had uh, attempted suicide quite a few times. I was shocked when I grew up as an adult to find out that there were people who have never had a suicidal thought. I I remember thinking, well, of course, everybody's contemplated taking themselves out at some point in time. And like, I literally met people who were like, no, Jamie, never occurred to me. And it took me a long time to realize that like I had suicide attempts in my youth because at a very young age, that was taught to me as a valid coping skill, right? Like, oh, if it gets too bad, try to take yourself out. So, and I know that sounds really weird. Like I'm, I'm being very blase about it, but again, done so much healing about this, but it's a really good example of how you can just, you can just learn these coping skills early on. I know so many people who blow up at their kids and use ethnicity as a, as a excuse. Oh, well, I'm just Italian. We're just super passionate. Get the fuck out of here. You learn that from your family, but that doesn't mean you get to explode on all the people around you because you're Italian. Do you see what I'm saying? But you learned in your house that ethnicity was a way to excuse this and, and as a coping tool. The next way that trauma shows up in your parenting is perfection parenting. And all of these are kind of linked together. It makes this really like rat's nest of, of behaviors, but perfection parenting is one I see again and again and again. And this is the idea or the notion that you can do it right. 
you may even logically say out loud, oh, I know I'm not perfect and I know no one's perfect or there's no such thing as perfect parenting, but there is an insidious feeling in you that yes, there is, okay? And so it comes out in all these weird little ways. So again, becoming aware is of course the first step. So let's go back to the research with shopping. Yeah. The actual research you may find calming, like, okay, let me do something. Oh, I know what I'm going to do. So it may alter your state that way, but under that shopping research is this perfection, right? There's an idea that if you can just do this right, if you can just find all the right things that somehow everything will be okay. I'm here to tell you guys, no matter what you do, you are going to have products that either hurt the earth, use some international slave labor, and or expose your child to a toxin, okay? It's just going to happen. And I don't I don't say that so that you can just be haphazard about it, but literally there is no safe cell phone yet. There is no cell phone that doesn't somehow use some sort of slave labor around the globe. So if you have a cell phone, we're taking part in it. And so, and again, I don't say that to excuse the behavior and I don't say that to say, oh, so just fuck it, you know, use any kind of product. I still think we should be conscious shoppers. (laughs) It's a hard word, (laughs) but there is a line that we cross when it becomes about perfection or about, you know, trying to do everything so right. And that I see a lot in my clients with like, no, 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 no. I have to, I have to make sure these products are totally clean and it's just, it's impossible. So know where you can sort of drop the ball. And again, I want to be very clear. I'm not saying just throw caution to the wind and just say like, fuck it. I'll just use whatever products. I still do really believe we should be conscious about this stuff. But if it's interfering with your life, it's a problem. And I can guarantee that if it's keeping you up late at night, missing sleep as a parent, that it has become a problem, okay? Or you feel like you can't not do it, yeah? Because we all have those moments like, you know, we all try to feed our kids really well, but we all have those moments where we're like, oh my God, I just, I... I have to, I just have to stop at McDonald's or, you know, they're at my mother's, let them just have white bread or whatever it is that your thing is, right? So you have to know in your head and heart, I can't diagnose that for you. Only you know if it's causing a problem for you. Perfection manifests in so many other ways. It manifests in trying to do too much, right? Being hyper-responsive to your kids, attempting to address and process every feeling your child has, right? That is doing too much. I worked with a mama whose child would get up in the middle of the night several times and want to have conversations. And she was like, well, if I was horrified. I was like, no conversations at two in the morning. And she was like, no, 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 I have to. I have to be responsive to his needs. That is a trauma response, you guys. Nobody needs to talk at two in the morning when they're three years old. You know, maybe your friend who calls you once in a huge blue moon needs you at 3 a.m. and then you need to be responsive. But your child at as a toddler, you do not need to be responsive like that, okay? So that's carrying it too far and that is a trauma response. Obviously, if they've had diarrhea or they're throwing up or there's something wrong, of course we respond. I'm talking about like hyper-responsive and that is a huge thing I find in parenting. Attempting to do everything, that is a trauma response. You are overestimating your abilities and you, under that is a thought response that if you just get it all right, you will be all right. So this perfection usually stems from being asked or made 
whether consciously or unconsciously, to take care of the adults when you were a child. You think you have the power to fix everything. You also probably have some shame under that, that you are to blame for all the problems so you can fix it. This leads to number three, how it shows up in parenting is extreme independence. And that looks like, that's fine. I'll just, I'll do it myself. It's okay. I got it. No, 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 no. I don't need your help. It's fine. I got it. Yeah. That is a trauma response. Not asking for help is a learned response. We are born asking for help. Okay. This stems from disappointment and or shame due to parents who are emotionally immature and or unpredictable. Unchecked and unhealed, this particular thing, you will seek and find people who disappoint you to quote unquote, prove this to your unconscious. See, no one ever shows up for you. See, so you will find the people who will be unpredictable and untrustworthy and emotionally immature so that you have to keep the extreme independence trauma response. So that's kind of crazy. It's that thing I was talking about earlier, right? Where it's, you will keep finding the things till you heal this. And it's weird because then you have over and over and over again. I don't know if you've ever seen that show, Intervention. And people do this. They keep finding people who then fuck them up, who then it just keeps this trauma response going because your unconscious is like, see, see, nobody ever shows up for you. See, you are a loser. So you can see it in that program. I feel like a a lot. Not that I recommend that program. It's very depressing. We are social beings, you guys. We need the village. Yes, you're going to find some shitheads along the way, but you have to keep asking for help because we weren't meant to do it all or take on too much. That is a trauma response. Which leads to poor boundaries, poor boundaries. Yes, this is probably the biggest response that comes out of trauma. It's literally not knowing where your personal, this is okay and this is not okay, lie. How people treat you, what's okay and what's not okay. And it gets mucked up in parenting because that ultra responsiveness trauma response, right? That we're, uh, we're supposed to be everything for our kids and they can walk all over us and we're supposed to allow them to do everything. And we're supposed to have this really good, gentle parenting response. This one stems from all of it. Big trauma, little trauma, any shaming, any lines crossed. This could be because you had like overt sexual abuse to maybe just being made to kiss your grandma who had like a little bit of a slobbery lip. (laughs) It can range from giant trauma response to the tiniest trauma response. So that's why boundaries are our life's work. It's, It's incredible how important boundaries are. If you find yourself... Like your mom visits and then she leaves and you find yourself having long monologues in your head about all the things you wish you'd said to her. It's a boundary issue. Yeah. (laughs) It shows up with weak boundaries with your kids, letting them cross lines left and right because you don't want to do what your parents did. But this always leads to burnout. Poor boundaries always lead to burnout. And it always leads to unpredictability in your behavior. So it always transmits some shit to your kids. If you do nothing else in your life, figure out boundaries, figure out where yours lie and get them in line immediately. Work with this on your spouse so you have the same boundaries. You're on the same page. Predictability is the best gift you can give your child. My whole parenting work is about this, that zero to six, right? 
that governing, putting the rules, the boundaries, and expectations in place so they get the same response for you. This is what makes a kid feel safe and secure. Go back and listen to the Psycho Mom episode way back in the beginning of this podcast, season one. Psycho mom is funny. We can use psycho mom jocularly. We can use it like, oh man, I just went psycho on my kid. I gave you my example, you know, with Pascal a couple of weeks ago, how it messed up, right? How my boundaries got skewed. But this is the work. If you have a different response all the time, you create that moving ground, right? That that fun house, which it's not very fun, right? That That shaky ground that your child doesn't know where they are. And that's where generational trauma comes in, okay? So I can't say this enough. Number five in how this shows up in your parenting is hairpin triggers or and or blind rage. So this usually happens when you have a direct trigger point. Think direct salt in a direct wound. So for example, say maybe when you were a kid, if you were disrespectful, your parents like whipped you and slapped you across the face, right? So then now your child comes out and says something disrespectful, like out of the blue says something like, fuck you, right? Oh my God, you see red, you go in a blind rage. It was a hairpin trigger. It, it just came out of nowhere. It usually is when something takes you by surprise and it's a direct correlation to some trauma or wound. Like with poor boundaries, you can't always say, well, this is my mom and dad did X, Y, and Z. So this is why I have poor boundaries. It's usually not that easy. It's usually this like threads and network of, and veins of, trauma and how you internalized it. Hairpin triggers and blind rage is usually a direct line. Another thing that I hear from clients is um, you might have grown up in a house where there was a lot of violence and yelling. And so then when your kids yell and start getting physical with each other, it can boom, it can be a hairpin trigger and it can send you into a blind rage. And number six is getting stuck in victimhood. Yes, we listen, we all have occasional pity parties, right? For ourselves, we all have to feel bad for ourselves. But victimhood is often a way of explaining all the other symptoms I just said. Yeah, all the other ways that it shows up in parenting. And it can sound like, well, I have to do everything because my mom doesn't want to help me. Oh, well, I might drink too much at night, but I don't have any help and I do it all and I deserve a break. That's victimhood, okay? That's not owning your behavior. It's not owning your response because you are stuck in blaming the, the person who did it. And again, it sucks. I hate that any of this happened to any of us, right? But the reality is we have to we have to transform it. We have to because it's just not good enough to accept our, our shit and say, well, I do this. I'm continuing the line of trauma because it was done to me. It's unacceptable. Right. And, and people do it. People do it all the time, but you're here with me because we find it unacceptable and we want to change. Yeah. I'll give you an example of motherhood. I mean, a victimhood. So I've been a single mom the whole time with Pascal and it has so many bonuses and yeah, I don't get to share the burden at all. I don't get to share the joys with somebody very close to me, but largely I get to make all the decisions. It hasn't been hard for me. And whenever I find myself pulling that sentence out, well, you know, I'm a single mom. I work and I do all the taking care of and I homeschool. Whenever I feel like I want to say that to somebody, I don't say it because it's victimhood. And what it is a red flag for me that the person I'm saying that to has overstepped a boundary or I haven't kept a strong boundary. And so to me, whenever I feel like I want to say that sentence, I check myself and I go, whoa, 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 
Why do you feel that? And then I go back and I can look that somewhere there's been a skewed boundary. And so when you feel yourself stuck in victimhood, it is a red flag and it is a a great way for you to say something's happening. Something's happening here. There's some resentment here. I don't know why. Who is it? And then figure out where that resentment is and where the boundary has been either crossed or that you haven't held it strong enough, okay? That was a shit ton of information. I had hoped to do some of the definitions this episode, but I know given your life with toddlers that we like to keep these at 30 to 45 minutes. So I'm going to log off for today. Again, I want you guys to know that we're unpacking this slowly, especially the parts of um, how it shows up in parenting. I hope that these maybe triggered something for you and set, oh, triggered such a funny word, especially it got really abused in this political landscape. I hope it it sparked something for you that you say, oh, I didn't even know that my like cleaning response or whatever it is, is a trauma response. Because I know there's there's so much going on right now. I see it on Instagram. I see it on um, Facebook. So many people are working through their trauma and there's some great therapists and, and holistic healers who are putting out like these one-line memes that are zingers. So I'm finding it, it's just a really great way to work with trauma. And I do feel like whatever happened, you know, whether you hate Trump or are for Trump or whatever, that his presidency stirred up a lot of trauma, uh, generational trauma, racial trauma, political trauma. And again, even if you were very pro-Trump, he was the biggest fucking gaslighter ever. There was just like so much gaslighting going on. And I'll define gaslighting because again, that's a pop term that has been um, misused. So I feel like this was like a really big deal. A lot of our own trauma got stirred up because of it. So I hope that this episode laid some groundwork and we'll get into the work. And I'm very excited about this month. And as always, I am grateful for you, my patrons, and share your feedback, share your questions, share anything you'd like me to discuss. All right, you guys, rock on. All right, I'm going to sign off for today. You can always go to jamieglowacki.com for the super cool latest updates, including the launch of my new book, yummy new book pre-sale treats, when we release new episodes, and how to work with me directly. And of course, if you need any potty training help, there's a handy link there that will take you to all my potty training resources, including all my courses. That's the Oh Crap Potty Training online course, my pooping solutions course, and my night training supplement. And if you need additional help, how to book with a certified ProCraft consultant. That's all at jamieglowacki.com. Have a beautiful day and rock on.